Hi there, I'm Caroline Scott, and for this week's episode of the Journalism.co.uk podcast, I'm taking you to Galway in Ireland, where I spent a week with the ever-growing community of smartphone content creators. Last month, people came from all around the world for MojoFest, which was three days of discussion and workshops about mobile journalism. It's what we in the industry like to call Mojo. Now, if you haven't been involved with mobile content creation or attended what was MojoCon, you can be forgiven for not really knowing what I'm talking about here. In fact, regardless of the fact most of us have an iPhone or Android device in our pocket, many reporters are unaware of what they can actually do with their phones. For some people, it's purely a way to make phone calls, check WhatsApp and send the occasional tweet. But for others, it's a full-blown camera crew, podcasting suite and professional camera. You're actually likely to have seen some of the content made through mobile journalism on your television or social media pages. But it's frankly so good that you've been hard pushed to tell the difference between that shot on a smartphone to that shot with a larger traditional broadcast camera. Professional smartphone content creation is something that we've discussed a lot at journalism.co.uk over the past few years. It's a topic that's only getting hotter and more and more people are getting involved all of the time, even those outside of the media industry, especially those that want to build their brand online. So stay tuned as we discuss where the Mojo movement is going and we give you a hearty helping of some of the main takeaways from the Mojo Fest conference right here on the journalism.co.uk podcast. Hi everyone, Catalina here. Just a quick note to let you know our next News Rewired Digital Journalism Conference will take place on the 11th of July at Reuters in London. We are building a fantastic lineup of speakers for our 22nd conference and as usual we're aiming to provide you with all the practical skills and ideas you need to take home and explore in your own organisations. You can grab your ticket online at newsrewired.com, where you'll also get the chance to sign up for our News Rewired Plus deal, which includes an extra day of training the day before the conference as part of your ticket. Bye for now! There have been three very distinct phases, I think, to the evolution of both the community and I think mobile journalism as a movement, if I can use that word. That's Glenn Mulcahy, mobile journalism trainer and the founder of MojoFest, a global gathering of people that are using their smartphones to produce professional quality content for audiences on television, radio and online. Glenn's been at the forefront of mobile journalism development and has trained not only reporters all around the world in how to tell stories using their mobile phone, but a range of organisations, businesses and NGOs to harness the potential of smartphones as content creation devices. He told me how the mobile journalism movement has evolved since he started the MojoCon Mobile Journalism Festival in 2015. Certainly, you know, back in 2015, around MojoCon 1, it was kind of the shiny new thing and there was a lot of excitement about it and there was a lot of people kind of going around, kind of going, oh, I didn't know you could do this, do you know an app? And, you know, that was the buzz and there was lots of kind of, there was an awful lot of startup energy almost about it. I think by the time MojoCon three had happened, it had evolved beyond that whole kind of shiny new thing to kind of, something that was definitely gaining substantive traction. The discussions had moved on from the, you know, oh, wow, look, you can do this, to fault-finding best work practices, um, teasing out the best possible workflows, and and really kind of maturing, for want of a better word, 
And I think what was kind of inter- interesting about Ferris Motor Fest is that there was a sense of a blend of the two of those things. It was like there was a, a, a small but definitely new number of delegates at that conference who basically had had no exposure to it before and almost were at that 2015 phase of, oh, my God, I didn't know you could do this. But at the same time, you had this mix of people who've basically been you know, very heavily invested in Mojo over the last four, five, six, even longer years. They're kind of going, oh, yeah, you can do that and hell of a lot more. Let me show you. So in essence, the one thing that's been a common thread throughout the last four or five years is that the single most impressive thing from my perspective, certainly about the community, is the willingness of people at all different levels to engage and to share there is a huge amount of kind of um, informal networking that goes on and people kind of sharing ideas on apps and teasing out workflows and things. And I think that's probably the biggest, best selling point of it. But in a much, much broader sense, I would say that what's happened over that same kind of timeline with mobile journalism, if you like, as, as a professional content creation platform, is that the discussion has shifted from where it was in its initial phase, which was about trying to shoehorn mobile into traditional broadcast workflows, very much now into mobile as a complete end-to-end platform and solution in its own right. And I think that's a really interesting and and a really, really uh, quite provocative transition because in many ways, and I I was one of the people at the coalface of these fights and arguments, in fact, that's what spawned Mojocon in the first place. Um, A lot of broadcasters uh, still to this day are very, very reluctant and hesitant to embrace mobile in any real structured and organized way, which is a real pity. There's a lot of organizations that, with the best of respect to them, are kind of just paying lip service, do a little bit of training, invest a couple of thousand euros in gear, and then say, yeah, we're doing mobile journalism, but they're completely missing out on the true opportunity. And I think for me, the biggest pivot that happened in the last 12 months in particular is We've seen a lot of organizations migrate from just using it as yet another video camera to do the same type of stories that you see on the telly to basically really leveraging it as a platform in its own right for both social storytelling, but also, um, you know, uh, further advances, if you like, in VR and also in augmented reality, which are the platforms that effectively in many ways are unique to mobile. That's where you will experience them for the vast majority of people. So I think it's definitely gone through that whole storming, forming, norming process, to use a really coy management term, um, but we're definitely fast approaching the full performing phase, and I think that's an interesting time, because with 5G now literally only 18 to 24 months away, mobile is about to jump onto steroids and get a hell of a lot more powerful, and the quality curve is going to go up even more incrementally. So I think in the next two years, we're going to see a jump from a kind of a slow burn, a kind of a quick, you know, it's simmering quietly in the background, to full full throttle, this is a new platform that people either need to be in, and if they're not in and not involved in and not experimenting and telling stories that work really really well on mobile, then they're effectively you know they're they're basically consenting to the idea of them becoming obsolete. So how do you get involved with smartphone content creation? Well, change, as we know, can be daunting. Let's face it. And if you spent your media career using traditional larger cameras, you might be really opposed to the idea of shooting your stories on a smartphone. But you mustn't dismiss the idea just yet. You see, that feeling of hesitation and doubt is exactly how 15 of the most experienced camera crews at the BBC felt when the broadcaster ran a pilot scheme recently, encouraging some of their most experienced camera operators to shoot with iPhones. Duncan Stone, who's a senior camera person at BBC News, told MojoFest delegates that even though there was a large amount of hesitation at first, the camera operators have gone on to record 30 to 40 stories on iPhones, One of which, by the way, made the six o'clock news without even the editors noticing it was shot on a smartphone. What we said to our crews was, 
we don't want them to uh, lose anything. We don't want the shoot, the filming to fail. And therefore, they should always, at this moment in time, have their big cameras in the back of their crew cars with all the kit and the lights that go with it. But if they found a situation, or they found, if they found a shoot which um, uh, would enable them to use the iPhone, then please give it a go, give it a try, and see how they see how they would get on. We are not forcing people to film on uh, on camera phones. At the moment, it's all a volunteer basis. And as we move it forward to giving out phones to more and more journalists, more and more producers, that is still on a voluntary basis. It, it, it doesn't matter what the device is. It could be a large shoulder mount camera or it could be a phone. Uh, people can, or crews certainly can still use these to do the same things. Back in the very early days of this, in RTE even, um, I, I kind of use that metaphor. It's kind of like, you know, you've been driving around in a Ferrari, courtesy of the company, for the last X amount of years. I'm asking you to hand the keys back in. I'm going to give you this nice little snazzy push bike. It'll still get you from A to B, but it's going to be a whole different experience on the way. And that's basically what you're asking a broadcast professional camera person to do if you ask them to hand over a 70,000 euro worth of camera to take a phone out to shoot a package. They're used to all the trims and luxuries and everything that come with that big high-end camera. But I think the approach that BBC and Pippo's team and many of other co companies have taken, which is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? It, mixed economy is the most sensible and pragmatic approach. So basically, you'll still keep your big cameras, but you might mix up the actual full content production solution that you have. And this is very much the way that Marwan and the team in BBC have gone. So it's not just Mojo. It's not just big, high ENG cameras. There's a number of cameras in the middle as well, like DSLRs and mid-range large format cameras like FS5s and that sort of stuff, which is that, that's perfectly sensible because it's driven by a pragmatic business approach. And that's exactly what the companies need now. There are days when a phone is more than appropriate for the type of story, whether that's because of it's, it's a discrete production tool, because you can blend in with the crowd, because you could have three or four of them covering an event rather than just one big camera. And there's lots of benefits, but equally there, you know, I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest, there are still definitely drawbacks. Battery life, Zoom, all those things are still issues to be overcome. So a, a mixed economy is the most sensible approach, and I think most cameramen and women I think eventually kind of realize that resistance is somewhat futile in the sense that if the management are saying that we're going to be doing this anyway and you keep pushing against this idea rather than at least giving it a go, well, you're kind of, you're becoming the provocateur and not in a good way. Um, equally, I think there are metrics now to support this that are showing the growth of social video online. And once you realize that not everyone is just trying to shoehorn Mojo into exactly the same traditional model, but given that bit of headspace to experiment with new forms of storytelling, it, it's, it's simply a pragmatic and sensible approach. So let's say you as a reporter are interested in the benefits of mobile journalism. You're keen to get going, but you still have your hand clutched tightly to your traditional larger broadcast camera and don't even know where to begin. Well, first of all, I'd advise you to sign up to the Mojo.com community online, whose link I'll put in the description of this podcast. The members of this group use Facebook to discuss apps and equipment, ask questions and share their Mojo projects. It's a useful space to improve your knowledge of the Mojo movement and open your mind to what can be done within the space. Secondly, get on your App Store or Google Play Store and have a play around with a handful of the apps that are matched to your job. For example, if you're looking to shoot video, check out Filmic Pro, which is one of the most popular filming apps, effectively turning your phone to a DSLR. While LumaFusion on iOS is a brilliant editing tool, as is KineMaster for Android. GoPro's Quick App is great for making social videos and you can even play around with Snapchat and Instagram to tell stories in creative ways. 
Those are just a few examples. There are countless tools out there to get you started and even more tutorials and articles ready to help you out online. On the third day of Mojo Fest, BBC trainer Mark Settle gave a roundup of 20 apps in 20 minutes, which I've edited down for you here so you can get a quick fire taster of what there is out there. You'll find some of them more helpful than others depending on what you're looking to create content-wise, so get your notepads and pens out and feel free to pause this podcast if you want to jot them down. Here's one here called IntroMate. So with IntroMate, it has some templates of designs of introductions or bits that you can put into your videos. How about an app whereby you yourself can design your own font? This is called Fontize. You actually write the text with your own finger such that you then come up with your own design of a font. An app here called Topic. Now, Topic has one very simple conceit whereby you take a photo, then you can talk over the audio, and it zooms into the different parts of the photo at the speed that you have, and then it saves it back to your camera roll as a video. And that one is called DMD Topic. Look at an app here called SPK. This is an app that should do audio recognition of your voice, and it will design the text on the screen based on you have a number of choices. And I think, again, it's quite clever, vertical only, and that one is called SPK, which is the one in the middle. Similar one called Clipomatic. Obviously, you can do something similar with Apple Clips. So with this app here, you get a whole range of different designs of where you can put the text onto the screen. And also, even more impressively, it has a far greater range of languages. So even for Pippo Serrano, you could do it in Catalan if you wanted to, but I'm not going to. That's not too bad. So if you need an automatic um, script a transcription subtitler, that one is called um, Clipomatic. Now, Tippy Video would take a bit more time to uh, show how to use, but I'll give you an idea of the kind of thing that it can do. It's for animated text over photos. Not over videos, but over photos. So you design the, you bring the text in, and then you have designs about the style and the animation of the text. I'm sure that most of you are aware of an app called Quick, Q-U-I-K. If you don't have it, then you really should. It's free. It really is very incredible. There is an app that takes things a little bit further than Quick, and that is called Mosho. Now, it is a little bit expensive if you want to get rid of the logo, but I think it's got about 60 different designs of how those photos are then animated. Video to photo. So... Let's say, for example, you see some um, lightning, as we've had this amazing amount of lightning in the UK recently. So here we are, a little bit of lightning, and boom, it's been and it's gone. You haven't been able to see that fully. If you use an app called Video to Photo, what you can do with Video to Photo is actually bring each frame in, and then you can actually see the lightning. So what this app does is it literally slows down, so you can choose frame by frame, and then extract it down to the camera roll. So, I mean, there are loads of apps like Glitchy uh, that do sort of uh, making your um, videos look a bit weird, but I think this is one of the best, which is called uh, Generate. It just has a lot of really interesting, different kinds of designs for your videos. I mean, yeah, begin to hope no one's got sort of slight epilepsy because this may affect you. This app is called Where. It lets you take a photo, and at the same time, it geolocates you. So if you need to show over the course of a day where you've been, almost like a photo diary, what this does is beneath the photo is also a map such that when you save this image down to your camera roll, the photo is on your camera roll with a map as part of it. 
So related to that is an app here called Vidometer. Now, it's not 100% because it has been a bit glitchy, but what this app can do is it gives you on the screen while you're recording video, and with the video you get a full range of settings in terms of uh, the quality of the video that you want to record. So there we go, full 1080 at 30, sadly not 25, but we can't have everything. And what this video will do is have on screen a little map to show where you are while you're filming, or we'll have a larger map, or it will show you the speed you're going at. And so when I came in on the plane yesterday, I thought, well, let's use that. And so I used it on the plane uh, on the way in yesterday, and also when I got the taxi. Um, and if you can see there, in the bottom left-hand corner, that's showing as I'm going. And can you see actually that little red line? The little red line shows the distance I was recording. So you're doing the video, it's showing you the map, and it's showing you on that map how far you're going. I think that's really clever. Again, it's not an app you're going to use every day, but I think it's an app that's certainly worth having on your phone, and that's really what it's all about. iMerge. iMerge is a very silly app. It's free, so that's fantastic. You have different designs of frames that might be useful. You bring the video in to the design, and then you have the video inside the different frames. So if you want to have two people talking to one another inside a coffee cup, you know, that is entirely possible. Text on photos is fantastic. An app here called uh, Retype. I have no graphic design bone in my body, but if I just rotate through all of these, within a couple of seconds, I've got something that otherwise would have taken a lot longer to do. So let's, you know, something like that. That looks lovely. Before, after. Really clever. You may have seen on websites where you sort of swipe backwards and forwards to compare and contrast an image. Here's an app that can do it on your phone. So if you need to show people in your storytelling how something has changed from uh, one moment to the next, this app can do it for you very, very simply. Page up. So select a number of photos like this and that and there. Very quickly, you've got a whole load of designed um, montages, collages with text very configurable. You can do a video version where it's animated. I think I haven't, I mean, there are apps that do similar things. Diptych, another one called Moldiv. This one isn't bad. Again, it's free, possibly worth, worth having in your armory. Grid play. You can have like 16 different cells like this. Choose those cells, and they can start recording like that. So let's drop that down to two, two and a half seconds. So now that's recording. I can then choose a different section over here, and then start this recording. Again, you know, think about the story that you want to tell, but equally, you can put this together really quite quickly. There is an in-app purchase to expand the length of duration of the videos that you can do, but again, I think that's really clever for what it can do. And so with Storyline, you go to your camera roll, you select the photos that you want, like this, and then you add a title, and then you start recording. It's when you swipe to the next image that the image then moves on. So you have entire control. You don't have to sort of set it. It's literally how long you want to speak. You can then move on to the next photo, and then it builds up the audio slideshow. Air radio tune. So from any radio station in the world, pretty much, you can record that audio, and then you save it back to your, cap your phone as an MP3. Screen recording is really powerful because there are lots of apps which if you aren't able to save their content as the content is being created, then you end up with a finished product, but you don't end up with the content as it's being made. So there's a really clever app here called My Typewriter, whereby, yes, you can you know, type on the screen like this, and you can actually have your typing being seen. But the actual app just saves the finished product to your phone. If you use screen recording while you're using the app, then you end up with something that looks like this. 
So actually, you've got that sort of imagery of an old-style typewriter. Uh, as you're typing, it's saving uh, in, the, in the screen recording such that you've got this you could use as part of your journalism as well. Now, if you need a little lie down after all of that information, I don't blame you, but I just wanted to pack in as much information as I could into this podcast so you can go away with some new ideas and tools for what you'd like to use back in your newsroom. And speaking of newsrooms, there were a lot of attendees at Mojo Fest from very different backgrounds. Some were from large organisations, some small, some print publications and others from broadcasters. It was clear to see that people were experimenting the space in very different ways, some using mobile journalism to cover breaking news out in the field, others were producing well-crafted native social content, and some looking at it from a tech perspective about what their phones will be able to do in the future, for example, helping them to produce projects with augmented reality, virtual reality, or even tell stories through voice-controlled devices and virtual assistants. So I went around and asked a few of the delegates to tell me how they're using mobile journalism at the moment and give me their top takeaway from the event. Here they are. My name's Daniel Jackson, I'm the Head of Communities for Trinity Mirror and I'm their Mojo Ambassador, for want of a better phrase. The Mirror has dabbled and, and kind of dipped their toes into the water a bit. I certainly think there's a lot more that we can do, but I think the mainstream audience of, of uh, the Mirror, and probably most newspapers in the UK, aren't as technical yet. Most 360 I see people kind of swiping with their phones, but obviously there's the VR headsets, um, there's like motion capture when you move it moving around. Um, and one of the companies Instant 360, they've got some brilliant um, post-production stuff that they're doing now where you can shoot something in 360 and then you can direct the action and the footage after you've recorded it, um, which is great. So we went out to do um, an interview with uh, three people simultaneously and I put one 360 camera in between them they, they did that and then I cut it into three different flat, normal 16 by nine shots. And it worked brilliantly. It's just whether the effort of 360 is gonna reap enough rewards yet, this is the time where we experiment. I think the time where it pays off is still to come. There's the fun in the experiment, but there's also the budgetary, whereas you don't always have three camera operators to go out on jobs. And the point of Mojo is shrinking things down, being a one man band and you know, shooting once and finding a way that you can repurpose it for your mobile on this platform, repurpose it for your website on that platform. Oh, and you can also extract the audio and that gets dropped into a podcast as you go as you go along. And these tools mean that we can do, we can shoot it all once and then repurpose it after the fact. And I think 360 is certainly gonna help with that. Hello, my name's Chandrika Chakrabarty. I'm now a freelance journalist, producer and trainer. I went straight into videoing with Mojo and didn't think about what smartphones can do in terms of um, taking pictures. Portraits were a really big one for me. That was a, a theme that came up again and again. And the idea of intimacy and how a phone doesn't get between you in the way that a camera does. We heard from Jack Hollingsworth, so at Photo Jack, and he, he was very charismatic, did this really big presentation. But his main theme was connection, that photography is connection, and the portrait is a reflection of your relationship with that person and the rapport you build. As someone who's going freelance and loves interviewing and is, is going to be doing more in that area, I want to think about, do I take pictures beforehand? I don't think I can take pictures all the way through interviews, but I think I should take ones before and after and then see I think the ones after are going to be better because we'll have connected more over the interviews. Krishna Day. I'm already experimenting with voice apps in terms of, let's say, with uh, Alexa apps. 
and creating that. What I was really struck by was the speed in terms of how voice and basically conversational conversations can happen and I'm very excited about that in terms of that was something I was walking away with that was a bit different. It's the first time we're really hearing about that in the last number of years that we've had Mojo Fest and MojoCon. I am so passionate about apps and download new apps and beta test new apps every single week and one of the ones I've actually come across this week is a light creative. I'm really excited because of the ability to be able to create um, kind of animated content. Currently it's available on Android so I've downloaded it, I'm starting to test it out, it's going to be soon available on iOS and I certainly think that's going to be great for us to be able to create content that we can then put at the beginning of our videos, um, at the end of our videos or little inserts that we want to have or for social video, it's got real huge potential and I'm very excited about the fact that, that that's available on a mobile app to do because I've been using desktop to be able to create animations such as that previously. I'm Phyllis Stephen, I'm the editor of the Edinburgh Reporter, which is an online news website. I use LumaFusion quite a lot in my uh, video editing, but what I didn't realise was that there is a format so that I could actually edit video for an Instagram story. So there's a 9x16 format and I didn't know and that's one of the things that I've, uh, that I've taken away. The biggest takeaway from here is that there are other people out there and I think one of the sessions decided that mobile journalism is definitely not dead. My name is Davidson Rodriguez, I am from Holland and I'm a Mojo trainer working at a local public broadcaster. I was very inspired to talk with people about how they are doing mobile journalism in developing countries. I think we are dealing with two realities when it comes to what I see with the adoption of Mojo in developed country where I live and for instance a refugee camp or maybe places in India where Mojo is like a tool for more democracy and giving people a voice that they would otherwise not, not have. Hi, I'm Nikki Fitzgerald and I'm from Ivanovri Central. I'm a photographer and photo artist. The thing that I've come away with the most is about, it's more a kind of reminder about having meaning in whatever you do. With Jem's session about photography, she talked about this fantastic photograph that meant so much to her and she learned this kind of over a period of time. And, thing. and there was also a woman who was doing live streaming and she started to question using live streaming. Oh, should I be doing this? You know, is, is, am I just just doing this because I can live stream and then she realized it was the social impact it was having on people and I think it's that what we have to, to remember in the in the face of all these fantastic toys the wonderful things hi my name is Ruth Kennedy I work as a radio news presenter and reporter in Dublin City I never really engaged with snapchat and Instagram stories and I went to a workshop on those and I have had a bit of a breakthrough I realized that Instagram stories is the perfect place to try all those apps that Mark Saddle keeps talking about so all those crazy crazy apps you can just throw up stuff in Instagram stories and use it as a kind of a training facility for yourself so that's my big takeaway that I'm going to actually teach myself how to use a range of different apps it doesn't matter whether the content is being pushed out for anything I'm going to use professionally but I feel it's a great way for me to see the kind of reaction I can get for those kind of things just on my own feed and um, see what people think of them, see what works, see what works visually. You don't know anything until you do it and if you don't have a place professionally to put all of these things, just throw them out in your own feeds and see what happens. So that's what I'm going to do. Hi, my name is Mark Egan. The next year and a half will be really, really interesting because you know people quietly tell you what their roadmap is, what things are coming down the line, you know what they're investing in. 
and when it comes to the hardware the apps everything it's just going to get so much better over the next year and a half so i'm really excited after being here about the future these are people who put real money into guessing where this is going and they seem to be investing a lot in it so for me that's really encouraging where i've seen this implemented the best is in places like india where they've literally just kind of with a newsroom or a new startup news organization said right everybody's trained up let's go out and do it whereas it's the legacy ones who haven't changed the infrastructure of the newsroom where it's hard for individuals even if they're keen to do it but my message again to those individuals is invest in your own skills learn this stuff because it will be the future it's not going away my name's mark lloyd and i'm a chef but i get to cook on television all around the world and i've started creating content online to teach kids about nutrition and cooking coming to mojo fest taught me that sometimes I don't need to buy the most expensive kit. So I was spending a lot of money monthly on an editing suite that I didn't really need. So I found an app that I've downloaded in place of it when I was wanting to throw my laptop out of the bedroom window because I couldn't quite work out Adobe Premiere Pro. LumaFusion is just so much quicker and easier and intuitive because I'm an Apple baby. Anything that I can use on there to make my life quicker so that I can get those videos out quicker to the kids has made all the difference to me. My name is Christian Payne, documentally online. The evolution for me is now, just make your audio visual for those that want visual content in very visual spaces. And there's a number of different apps out there. I like Wizable, and it enables you to very simply drop high resolution audio onto a selection, I think up to five images, so that you can have a slideshow if you want. And there's an animated sound wave on there to show people this is audio and it's pulsing for you. My name is Leonor Suarez. I think the most important thing is to be enthusiastic, to be patient, because, because it takes time to learn. Because when you are a journalist and you don't have a technical background, you need to learn everything from the ground. And even though it's easy to film with a phone, you still need to produce a, sorry, a good quality of audio, a good quality of light, the framing, and it takes time to learn. So it will take long but you will enjoy a lot you will change your approach to storytelling to journalism so you don't need to lose your patience and you have to be enthusiastic my name is Len Clark I am from uh, the Chicago area I'm a journalism educator I heard an adage years ago if you go to a conference if you don't apply it within 48 hours you're never going to do it so I try to apply everything that I've learned just to get a little taste of it and go back and revisit it. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've learned something, you have to apply it within 48 hours. Now, you might be at a stage where you know the apps you want to use, you know the stories you want to tell, but much like any other skill, shooting, editing, and publishing content with a smartphone takes a hell of a lot of practicing and training to perfect. And persuading your boss, colleagues, and often yourself are hurdles that you're going to have to overcome if you'd like to incorporate mobile journalism into your newsroom. Corinne Podger is a mobile journalism trainer who explained to me why going on a one-day course is simply not enough. The phones change all the time. The apps get updated. What you can do with a phone in 2018 is different to what you could do with a phone in 2016. And we're about to get iOS 12 and so on. So the technology changes. The accessories that go with the technology change. Journalism is a craft. So let's take that and then let's contrast this with something like yoga. So people have no problem paying £20 a week or you know, £20 a month. People don't seem to mind enrolling in ongoing classes for yoga because they accept that they develop both technique and skill over time. It's a craft and it's a profession. 
So why do we have a problem with continually updating our journalism skills? If anything, I think, you know, in, in newsrooms, because newsroom training departments are being cut back at many news organisations and people who are trying to do new things struggle to do them. If anything, I think people should be beating down the doors asking for more training. Um, you know, it, it never hurts. Knowledge is power. So if you're an editor, ensure your staff are given the right training. Training that's regular, thorough and mapped to their jobs so that mobile journalism is making reporters' life easier, not harder. And again, I can't emphasise the importance of practice for reporters. This is something that our trainers have told me time and time again. It's feedback we've also had from delegates of our courses. You know, the more they play around with their tools on the commute home, take photos in their lunch breaks and film their dogs in 360 degrees, Little bits here and there will help you achieve what you need to using mobile journalism, whether that's learning how to edit a news package together, present a Facebook Live, or record a radio report. And you'll actually have fun on the way, without getting into what I call mojo overwhelm. Now, mojo overwhelm is when you take on too many mojo projects straight away and try to use too many apps, which will lead you to be unproductive, stressed and frankly fed up. You see, most professional reporters who use mobile journalism actually only use a handful of apps and tools. There's no good in being out in the field ready to cover a breaking news story and then spending half of the time transferring files between apps, fixing bugs and working out how to do things when the story is going on in front of you and you're missing it, as BBC journalist Peter Stewart explained. There is an issue perhaps getting a bit bogged down with too many apps. First of all, you're not using them necessarily properly. Secondly, you know there's an app that does something like this, but I can't remember where I've stored it or what it's called. You can't find it. You've paid maybe 99p for it. What a waste of, 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 of space on your phone and money out of your pocket. So I would say uh, one, one of the big learning curves is learn how to use half a dozen apps really well and concentrate on those. Not necessarily the ones that everyone else is using because you want yours to stand out a little bit more. But what happens after you've nailed the apps and you're comfortable with your own content production and you actually need to get the material off your phone and out there for your audience to see? I spoke to Glenn about mobile journalism workflows, an area he has seen to be an issue in many companies. For me, the biggest issue is an absence of kind of coherent strategy. I mean, you know, I've been in very big organizations, I won't name them, but I've been in very big organizations where they've invested like tens of thousands of euros in training the teams at the front end to do what we do, to, to you know, create great stories on their phones. The problem is, once the stories are created, they go into this kind of vacuum, this, this, this void, which is not strategic in any way. It literally is, oh yeah, box ticked, let's move on to the next project. And that's, that's where the fundamental fall down is, because there's no... Effectively, there's no audit process to see how they performed. There's no follow-up to see how you can improve. There's no feedback loop to make sure that people continue to de develop their skills. It literally is like box ticked, what else should we be doing? That's a flaw. The other thing I would say is, is that, and I think we're right at the cusp. Uh, I can't talk publicly about it yet, but there was a product shown in private beta at MojoFest, which has had everyone who's seen it has had their tongues wagging about it privately since because they all realize that when this hits the market, it's going to really, really shake up the whole ecosystem. The end of this year is going to be very, very interesting for the evolution of Mojo, and the timing is really interesting given the 5G thing I spoke about earlier. So I fundamentally think that there are two things that need to happen, and I think they're about to happen. One is a kind of a cohesive strategy for the workflow. Because people are just making stuff up as they go. Oh, you know, we can we transfer it, we can Dropbox it, we can email it, we can SMS it, we can Snapchat it, whatever it is. 
everyone's come up with their own kind of workflow. And in many cases, my, my personal experience as a trainer is quality suffers when people really don't know what they're doing with the best respect to them. So, uh, you know, as a broadcaster, as a former broadcaster, I would be very, very careful about trying to preserve the quality the whole way through the workflow chain as high as you possibly can to the point where you publish. Um, and there, I think we're literally at the cusp of a solution that is going to address that for anyone who wants to buy into it. For me, that's key. But the other thing that I think really needs to happen is I'm really, really keen and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still talking to vendors as I have been for about 12 months to try and get an actual a, a virtualized newsroom solution in the cloud up and running where Mojo is just simply the input method into the system. And what I mean by that is everyone is off doing their own little pockets of production and storytelling as a discrete individual, but there's no web, there's no network between everyone share with the exception obviously of informal networks like Facebook and things. What I would love to see is uh, a platform happening in the cloud where people can basically subscribe to it um, and they can share and sell their content. And I know others like you know, um, Verify and, and other companies have tried this in different spaces. But for me, one platform that can be sold as a product to newsrooms from very small local newspapers up to international broadcasters is the golden goose egg of Mojo. And I think it's about to happen in the sense that I think this product that's going to hit the market later this year has a plug-in that would allow you to do that. So I've, I've done training for small newspapers where there might be five or six people basically out doing stories on a beat every day. And they have to serve the print edition, obviously, but obviously they want to do digital content as well. There is no specific platform for them to shoot, edit, upload, share, moderate, and publish the content that they do. It's done on a kind of ad hoc, bespoke basis, person by person. That really all pivots on one person in the team having some technical knowledge and understanding what the hell it's capable of. When a solution comes along where basically everyone can, can subscribe to this system and the publication process is all effectively made invisible to them, all they need to do is worry about the front end where they shoot and edit, or maybe even just shoot, and at the back end the moderator can literally look at all the content in real time and agree what needs to be published, branded, and ready to go, that's coming. And for me, that's going to transform things because that's the missing link. So a scalable solution that you can basically run in the cloud so you don't need any big capital investment and stuff up front makes sense on all ends. And um, I think the next 12 months is going to be a pivotal turning point in the evolution of Mojo because there's a couple of products in the market that are going to address these issues. So what does the future hold for mobile journalism? I asked Glenn to look into his crystal ball and make some predictions for us. And I, as a keen Android user... I'm very excited. I've dipped the toe in the water about 5G twice already. The keynote actually at MojoCon 3 was uh, a look at what, where 5G may transform things. But there aren't, because it's only been rolled out in very small pilot projects around Europe at the moment, there aren't enough case studies to share real-world examples of how this is going to transform things. But for me, I think the one thing that's really interesting is what 5G brings, aside from super fast speeds, anywhere between 10 and 100 uh, times faster throughput, is for, uh, 4K. Uh, 4K is kind of, it was a big hot topic two years ago, but now it seems to have bubbled away into kind of, yeah, it's just the thing. Um, but for me, the missing link in all this is uh, those broadcasters who are still on the fence saying mobile is not good enough, they kind of need to just ask themselves this question. How soon do they think as an organization they would be adopting 4K for their end-to-end -end traditional television production model? I'll take a wild, aggressive swipe and say probably not in the next five to ten years anyway, Mobile is already capable of doing that. You can shoot 4K, edit 4K. 5G will allow you to actually send that content around super fast. If you have 4K shared in the cloud, whether that's on Vimeo or YouTube or soon to be Facebook, that is all available to you on your smart television through an app. 
So you basically have a solution already there, which completely bypasses all the traditional media workflow and yet still delivers extremely high quality content to a big screen box in the corner, if, if you wish, um, all driven by Mojo, all driven by mobile content creation. And I think that's something the broadcasters just need to cop onto because there's the opportunity. It's a way of getting extremely high quality storytelling out there to the audience that bypasses all the traditional infrastructure that they've invested bazillions on over the last 10 years. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting pivot to look at the, the case studies of, of uh, 5G and how it's going to transform things. And then the last thing I would say, and this has been a con concurrent theme obviously every year about the whole iOS versus Android thing. I didn't actually do it this year for the first time ever. I didn't ask what the makeup of the audience was. But every other year, it has always been around the 70% iOS, 30% Android market. And I think this year has been a very interesting one because there was a lot of chitter-chatter at the conference about the, the latest Samsung uh, mobile device. But more so, it's like the, the, the dark cousin kind of came into the mix, which is the new Huawei T20 Pro, which actually I, I literally just got a hands-on in the last 24 hours. And I'm blown away. I've been a long-time iOS fan. Uh, all my training in the past pretty, pretty much has been on, on Apple products. But I, I started playing with this camera yesterday, and I just kind of went, oh, my God. Um, so for the first time, I would actually be prepared to say 2019 may be the year that Android actually takes the lead in Mojo. I've heard from a number of the um, accessory manufacturers who make microphones, for instance, that they're all developing versions of their microphones for USB-C. All the new Android devices are USB-C. We might see a pivot. It might be the year that Android takes the lead. Um, I know it's the biggest market share in general, but that's not the point. Um, in Mojo, still iOS has the foothold in the space. So I think that's going to be a very interesting discussion, and we may have to revisit that next year. So we'll wait and see. A big thank you there to Glenn for speaking with us and, of course, for organising Mojo Fest, and to those that have spoken with me for this podcast. If you'd like to catch up on any of the Mojo Fest sessions, head to Facebook to the live streaming handbooks page where you'll find videos from all of the main panel discussions as filmed by author and BBC journalist Peter Stewart. And of course, keep your eye on journalism.co.uk as we often write about the most innovative Mojo projects from around the world, as well as how-to guides for using some of your favourite apps. If you have any questions, are working on any exciting projects, or want to arrange training for your news organisation, you can direct message me at carolinescott91 on Twitter. For more podcasts from journalism.co.uk, please visit our website. We'll see you next week. Thank you.